Well, good morning. Welcome to Connection Point Church, and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shell and I serve as lead pastors here at this great church. So glad you've joined us today. And uh, Shelly and I, a few weeks ago, we were talking about our signs on Main Street. It says, live an extraordinary life. And what the conversation was, is we were talking through that to say, I'm not sure that people really view following Jesus as extraordinary. And, and I would say that probably comes about in a couple of different ways. Because I, as we go into Acts next year, what I'm going to point out is, is so often we look at Acts and there's like this event and this event and then this event and then this event. And, and we kind of miss the wider timeline of what's happening. That our life in Christ is extraordinary, but it also involves a lot of ordinary days. That our life in Christ is oftentimes a daily faithful plotting in his name. I've shared before a great missionary, William Borden, his nephew was talking with him and, and said, uncle, if one day someone writes about your life, what could they say? And, and he says, well, if they capture that I could plod well, they'll have done me good. I'm great at plotting. <laughs> so our life in Jesus, it is extraordinary, but there is sometimes what seems like a daily plotting, but then extraordinary things happen in the midst of that sometimes. But what I've also found is those extraordinary things can't happen if we don't have eyes to see it and if we have things in our life that serve as barriers from us entering into that life fully. And that's where we want to go today is, is we want to talk a bit about what are some of those barriers that could keep us from stepping into the extraordinary life that we're offered in Jesus. Uh, I've asked Shelly to talk because we were talking back and forth about this. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, Zach and I both talked about just this journey that Jesus has us on right now. And so it's been interesting, some of the comments that we've received, um, just some dialogue back and forth on, you know, does this mean that we're moving? You would think I would have been smart enough to have remembered from first service. I forgot to mention this the first time, but no. So forgive me for I know not what I do, my dear. <laughs> Because what she's bringing up, one of the questions we got was, are Zach and Shelly going back to the mission field? They were asking some of our pastors and, and stuff this question. And so I said, well, what did you tell them? And so they were talking through that. And I said, we should have said, yes. And their mission field is a greater Lafayette area. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I, I swear I will not try to interrupt you again, That's but okay. I just want to finish that thought. It must have been about a year ago, somebody had made the comment, and they didn't mean it in a negative way, but, but made the comment that, you know, we're too missionary. And I sat in that for a little while. And really, the last couple of months, what I've come around to is just the opposite. We aren't missionary enough. And what I mean by that is this. Shelly and I, we grew up in the American church. We're a product of that, and we love the church, and, and we love how we get to serve and worship Jesus together, but we also know its shortcomings, because when you go to a different setting to see how Jesus builds his church in maybe different ways, you can come back and kind of reflect on some of those things. But then you also, what we realized is we came back and just kind of fell into some of those routines again that we knew from our life of growing up this way. And what the Lord really convicted us of is he said, I showed you something different. I need you to live differently. Because, and the, why I, the reason I say we're not missionary enough is because the conviction is, are the 150,000 lost in our county any less worthy of the gospel than the Sudanese Muslim in Khartoum, Sudan. 
Are they any less worthy of the gospel than the Palestinian Muslim in East Jerusalem and the West Bank where we were ministering? And the answer is no. Now, they might have greater access, but lostness is the issue we're dealing with. So the tension that Shelley and I are working through and what Shelley's going to talk about is this tension of, oh, Jesus, forgive us. We have yet to learn how to become the everyday disciple makers we're supposed to be in America, but we're going to go on this journey, and we want to invite you to join us on that journey too. Don't wait for us to write a book and figure it out. Figure it out with us. We're inviting you to help us figure it out together because it's going to look different than what we've been doing. We still want to gather and worship in his name, but oh Lord Jesus, help us make the other days of the week just as important in your name. So that's what we want to be able to figure out. I'm sorry, I'll try not to interrupt again. You're grounded. I receive it in Jesus' name. <laughs> no. He did this to me first service too, so I was like, it's so typical. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we need to work on sharing in yeah. our home. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, honestly, we're just, we're going through a journey right now, and it's not that it's like a struggle. It's not really a struggle. Um, actually, I feel like I have more peace now mm. um, and then the whole time we lived here. Mm. I feel like when we, we, when we came here, it was so... Um, just so foreign, honestly, than what I had already switched my mindset to in living overseas. And I knew it, I, I could identify that this is going to be different and I'm going to have to make some changes in my life, but I just have allowed so many things to interfere with me having peace here. Um, you know, you are a huge part of that. There's so many of you, and it, which is a great thing, but how do I know you all? And how do you all know us? And once you get to know us, will you even like us? Um, you know, just the deacons, you know, I've just been, I've had this real weird fear of the deacons, you know, like this, they have this say so in my life. They're you scary know, people. It's okay. They're, they're terrifying. No, they're not. They're awesome. And they've actually worked really hard to help break that down mm. in my own heart. Um, so there've just been so many things that I could really identify. Um, you know, I'm just not really living a life of peace and it's terrible. It's, I like sleep. I want to sleep at night and I sleep better now than I probably have the whole time we've lived here. So it's just been a really, an awesome journey, but it's like a real time journey that we're on right now. Um, it's, there's no definition to this. Um, in first service, I was explaining that, like, I feel like I'm in between some steps of faith. Like I, I've been on this step and now I'm kind of like right here. And it's just real undefined, but honestly, I like it because this is that area where I feel like the Lord is speaking more clearly to me and guiding my path. And so I'd be okay to just kind of stay in this tension until Jesus comes back. Because once I step my foot down on the next rock, my pattern is to say, okay, this is good. This feels good. Let's get some routines down. Let's, you know, let's get some things worked out here. Let's kind of settle into this phase of life. And I feel like, you know what, I'll, you know, I'll be 42 tomorrow. I've learned a few things in 42 years that once I get both my feet set on something, then that's when the Lord says, oh, I didn't want you to do that. Now I've got to shake things up again. So I'm just trying to really take my time personally in my own walk with the Lord to just really listen, to pray, discern, and say, God, what do you want me to do today? And just do that just to really listen. And, and that, I told Zach this very thing. I said, if Jesus had to pray and he said he only does what the father told him to do, why don't we do that? 
Why do we feel like we have to do a thousand things in a minute? And that's what it feels like sometimes. And so then you just constantly feel this tension of, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? Is it the right thing? Is it the right time? And I just want to be like, ah, no, I want to pray. I want to discern. I want to abide and obey. And so that's my tension right now. And I just felt like I needed to ask, is that okay with you? Is it okay that we're in this tension and that we're in this journey that's kind of not defined? Um, we didn't already write the book on this. And would you go along with us? Would you journey with us in this process of really just trying to discover what does Jesus want from us? What does he, ex what does he expect from his body? And I really kind of just saw this picture of a body. And that's what we are. We're just a tiny part of the body of Christ. And I just felt like there was like this beautiful, healthy spot growing on this body. And that's us. And that's not to say that there aren't other healthy bodies of Christ. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I want us to be a healthy part of the body of Christ. So I'm willing to kind of hang out in that awkward tension to really discern and discover what does God want from us? Can we listen? Can we obey? Can we do that? Can I do that? Can I do it well? Can I honor God in the unknown and just really trust and obey? So one of those the things from the message a couple of weeks ago. So if you weren't here, we shared a message on what Jesus expects or Jesus expects of his followers. If you didn't listen to that, I go back and listen. This conversation will make a little bit more sense. But one of the comments I made in there is, is pastors looking at becoming bivocational in some sense. And, and right now we don't have answers of what that's going to look like. All we know is everyone is meant to be an everyday disciple maker. And it's hard for us to be an everyday disciple maker if we're not in the community too and saying, oh, you know what? This worked for me. Could this work for you in becoming a disciple maker where you're at? We're on this journey figuring this out together. We don't, we're going to have a lot more questions than answers. And, and I would say for our pastors, like you could go and ask them questions of what that's going to look like. And you know what they're going to say? We have no idea, but we're prayerfully working through that together. So I would say if you're okay with the ambiguity of Lord, we're just going to seek you. We are committed to figuring out what it looks like to become everyday disciple makers because we've not yet done that. And so for us, like we, since we've been here, I used to blog and, and do social media stuff, and I've just kind of quit doing that. But we're going to resume that. Come September, we're going to invite you into the conversations we're having in our home as we put our home up for sale and sell it and, and work with the realtor. And I can't wait to, to tell the realtor. So you know that list where it's like you look at certain neighborhoods and what schools are there and these kinds of neighbors? Well, I'd like you to throw that one away. I'd like to go and consider, could you tell us in our community, where are the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner, those affected by prison and the sick, because that seems to be who Jesus hung around with. Could you tell us those? And the realtor will be like, I don't know what to do with you right now. <laughs> but we just, we're on a journey to say, Jesus, we see your kingdom. We see how kingdom movements happen. And we want to be a part of that. Aslan is on the move in our country. God is moving in churches and he means for us to be a part of that. And so what we're saying is, Lord, Help us figure that out together as the body so that we can see you do here what you want to do across our whole nation. How many believe that God wants to do something in our nation today? He does. And so we just want to be able to figure that out together. Would you join us on that journey? We'd love to have you a part of that. And so we'll tell you when we start writing more about that. We just invite you into those conversations we're having because we want to figure that out as Jesus has, has shown us in his word. And we really want to be the church that Jesus says, Oh, wonderful. I want to put my finger on this one so that we can see a movement happen. We've got a lot of lost people here, and God means for us to reach them.
And I firmly believe that we can. And so we want to go after that in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that because we want you in God's word every day. There's a Bible underneath the chair in front of you. If you don't have one with you today, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to pick up from where we left off a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday, Luke 19, where Jesus was greeted with palm branches. He wept over Jerusalem. And now we enter into this episode today of Luke chapter 19, looking at verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where he came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in Luke a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphal entry, he's coming into Jerusalem. And he comes into Jerusalem with both rejoicing as people see the Messiah coming. Coming as it has been prophesied uh, hundreds of years before. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then we also find Jesus as he comes down the Mount of Olives and he looks at Jerusalem. He's weeping. Because he says this is not a day of rejoicing for everyone. For not everyone knows who I am, or have received me. And so it is in the Christian life that it's a life of both rejoicing. Oh, we have Jesus, and it's good. But it's also a day of weeping as we consider the community in which we live, the world in which we live, and how many people don't yet know him. It's estimated today that there are 7.5 billion people in the world. 7.5 billion people, that's a lot of people. It's, it's understood that there's about 31% that would claim to be Christian, and that would be a, a generous estimate, which means there's about 2.3 billion people who claim to follow Jesus. But that also means that there's 5.3 billion people who have not received him. 5.3 billion people. And the question is, what are we doing about that? What are we doing about those lost? Because Jesus is weeping over them. And if we follow his example, we should have hearts of compassion and weep over the lost as well. And then what happens is Jesus, after he weeps for Jerusalem, he enters into the temple area and he begins to overturn the money changers' tables. So why does he do this? Why does Jesus start doing this? And what we'll find is, is that Jesus flips tables because the people of God had missed their mission. Jesus flips tables because the people of God had missed their mission. If you go to Israel with us next March, so Connection Point Church is, is headed that direction, if you go with us, we'll go to the Israel Museum. At the Israel Museum, it's a beautiful museum. They have the Dead Sea Scrolls are housed there. There's also this Jerusalem model. 
It's huge. So you can see the, the, there's trees over on the, on the right-hand corner. There's a person standing there, so you can kind of gives you a, a scale of the model. It's, it's massive. But it lets you see a picture of what Jerusalem looked like about the time of Christ. It's, it's a really good model for that. And then as you look closer at the temple, what you're going to find is next to what would be the temple building, there's kind of like this marked-off area. Can everybody see that along the temple? It's kind of like these fenced areas on both sides of the temple. Can you see that? And, and what that was is it actually was marking off the different partitions of the temple area. They had on the outer court. The outer court was the Gentile court, the court of the Gentiles. And then if you walked in through that fenced area, you would start to enter into what was the court of the women. And then you could go inside the temple and then there's the Holy of Holies. And so the temple was broke up into these different spaces. And depending on who you were determined on where you could go in the temple area. There's this sign. So as you go to the Israel Museum... There's a 2,000-year-old sign. 2,000. Do you think our signs are going to hold up that well? Probably not. So 2,000-year-old sign, it's, it's made of rock, it's chiseled. And here's what it says on the sign. No foreigner shall enter within the balustrade. So, of course, I read that and I pause. I had no idea what that word was. Google, define balustrade. It's the, the guardrail. So that fence that you saw, that's where this was posted. Don't pass beyond this fence area, this, this guardrail area of the temple. And whoever shall be caught shall be responsible for his own death that will follow in consequence of his trespassing. Very welcoming sign. You could post that on your, your house and uh, not be a gospel witness, you know. So this was the sign that was there. Obviously very intimidating. You think as we go through Acts... This will come up there, where the, the people thought that Paul was bringing non-Gentiles into the temple space, and they were very upset about this. So this is, this is all reference to that. So this is what you'll find, and, and archaeology shows this stuff today. And, and so why was Jesus upset? Why did he start turning tables? Because the people of God had restricted access to God, to the foreigner. And God's, Jesus isn't happy about this. So he starts to overturn tables. Where were these tables? They were in the court of the Gentiles. So Jesus is saying, you've turned what was a place for people to meet with God into a marketplace, and I'm upset. Because at the time of the first century, this is where people were to come to experience God. I, I've mentioned before in, in previous messages that whenever Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, you need to go back and look at the passage he's quoting. Because there's always more going on there than the specific line that he quotes. So I, uh, Jesus here is, is quoting from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. And Jeremiah 7 is the phrase, den of robbers. And Isaiah 56 is the phrase, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So let's look at Isaiah 56 to see why Jesus is so upset. Isaiah 56, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping Mark right now. There you go, thank you. Isaiah 56 says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. And my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And here's now where we get to start to be clued into what Jesus is talking about here. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, 
to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I bring to my holy mountain. So here's what Isaiah is saying. God is gonna bring foreigners to his holy mountain. He's talking about Mount Moriah. He's talking about the Temple Mount. So Jesus says, God declared he'd bring foreigners here and you've turned this place into a marketplace. You're denying them access to me. But what else does he say? And they will make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices accepted on my altar. God's intent was foreigners would offer sacrifices too. And he says, for my house shall be called a house of prayers for all people. This is what he's quoting. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those. So he's saying, not only are these coming, but I'm going to gather more foreigners to come. I'm going to gather more marginalized to come. And Jesus gets upset. I want to read this passage from Mark. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm messing with you back there in the, in the booth. You guys are so good. Mark 11. Here's what Jesus does. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. They give a little bit more details here. And he drove out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus gets upset because the people of God had missed their mission, denying access to God for the foreigners of whom he was calling. They went so far as to put up a sign to say, don't you dare come in this space and offer sacrifices or we're gonna kill you if you do. And so Jesus gets upset. He flips over the tables. He disrupts the marketplace. In another passage that relates the same thing, it says he makes a whip and drives the people out. Jesus took over the temple that day. He said, get out. This place is mine. You've profaned it because you've limited access to who God is. It's as though in symbolic fashion, Jesus took and drove the people out just as those people had done to the foreigners in limiting their access to God. This is what Jesus is doing. So then the question for us is, well, what does this mean for us today? And and where this needs to go is our understanding of where the temple is today. Is there a temple on Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount today? No, no. And God didn't mean for there to be. Why? Because now who's the temple? And this becomes the clue of how we step into the extraordinary life that we're offered in Jesus. We have to become the temple he always meant us to be. We have to become it. So what do we find from our passage? We step into extraordinary lives by giving Jesus the authority to flip tables in our ordinary lives. This is how we got to step into them. We step into those extraordinary lives by granting Jesus the authority to flip tables in our ordinary lives. Because the challenge is, for too many of us, for Shelly and I, I'll just apply it to us right now, we set up tables, and sometimes not even knowing, we set up tables that limit access to God. Because we are the ones who provide access to God. We as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation, as the city on a hill, as the the light on a stand, you go through all, as the salt in in our culture. Jesus identifies all of these things. Look at what Paul writes the the believers in Corinth talking about us as the temple. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Our very lives are meant to give people unfettered access to the living God. But the problem is, we set up tables to keep them from them. And we don't necessarily mean to do it. It's just, it's part of living in a culture. And we have to recognize what's happening there. What, what are some of those tables? And I'm just going to run through five, but there might be others in your life. And, and here's what I want you to do as a takeaway from this message today. You're going to feel compelled to do something. And here's what I need you to do. I need you this week to begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me identify the barriers in my life that are keeping access to you, people away from you. You need to start identifying those things. And then you need to say, oh, Jesus, now begin to tear those things down. What's one of those? We can become preoccupied with the pursuit of the American dream. And that can take a lot of time, trying to set our things up, trying to set up our, our homes for a legacy of, you know, a, a, of, of a home and being taken care of and taking care of our kids in a certain way. And, and that can actually rule our lives. What else can become a, a table, a barrier? Religion. That we can come into this space and worship and sing and serve in different spaces and, and go through the motions of doing this on Sunday, but going to work on Monday and going to work on Tuesday. And if we're not careful, we can think all that Jesus really asks is that we live good moral lives, but that's not what he's after. He's wanting us to be great in his name. And so then he's got to do things in our life to help us be that. We've got to be empowered by his spirit to do it. It's not a life of religion. It's a life of relationship with the king of kings. And so we have to live a little bit different. What else gets in the way? Comfort and convenience can stand in the way that we can make that a priority. But the challenge is for us, for us to grow, that's rarely a comfortable endeavor. And I can tell you right now, it's inconvenient to reach the lost. So if this becomes a value, a priority in our life, it keeps us from stepping into the extraordinary life we're offered in God. But what else can be a problem? We can have issues with distraction and busyness. That we get too distracted. I've mentioned before, number one spiritual issue in our world today is that of distraction. It keeps us from growing in God. There's so many things going on. Your no needs to be just as powerful as your yes to things. Busyness and distraction, what else? Fear. Or just a lack of trust in God. Fear can grip your life and keep you from stepping into the life that you're offered. But you are not meant to live in fear over and over Jesus says, do not be afraid. As we get into the book of Acts, what kind of people does Jesus use to grow his kingdom? People full of faith and people full of the Holy Spirit. For us to step into the life that God has for us, we've got to be people full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And here's part of the problem with these tables. These tables, if we're not careful, they can actually become really comfortable. I should have a chair, but I don't. So I'll have to do like CrossFit sit. We like to sit at those tables. They become very comfortable to sit at. In fact, so comfortable, we actually invite others to join us at these tables because we want to be comfortable sitting at these tables. And if there's others around this table with us, then, then we can become very comfortable in this life. If, if there's other people sitting at this table with us, then we can really become comfortable in living in that kind of a life. But God doesn't want us to be comfortable in this life. He wants to step into the extraordinary life, and sometimes he's got to flip tables in our lives to help us do that. But then we get upset about that. And just like the Pharisees approached Jesus saying, Jesus, by whose authority did you take over the temple? And we too, as Jesus starts to speak to your heart about maybe some of these things that are in your life, if we're not careful, we can say, Jesus, by what authority do you come in and start speaking these strong things to my life? 
But let me go back to that verse in Corinthians. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus paid it all. Paid it all. He has the authority to step into our lives and ask for change for two reasons. Why is Jesus upset? Because he wants the lost to become found and he wants you to be great in his kingdom. You're destined for that. You're made for that. And there are things that will keep you from it. So Jesus wants to flip some tables. And I'll tell you, as, as God started speaking these things to Shelly and I's heart uh, several months ago, we were really hesitant. So let me say, all of these tables represent things Shelly and I at some point or another have had to grapple with. Every one of them. And, and if you're honest with yourself, maybe you can identify yourself in some of these as well. And so Jesus started saying to Shelly and I, I'd like to flip this table in your life. And we're like, oh, maybe not just yet. <laughs> we want to hold that down a little bit. But as soon as we let our hands off and say, Jesus, have your way. Oh, the joy as he flips tables and the freedom that you get to start walking in, the peace that floods your soul to say, it's all yours, Jesus. I don't want to hold anything back from you. So as you begin to examine your heart and life, I encourage you, here's your prayer. Jesus, have your way with me. And it will be good. It will be good. And here's a motivator for why we need to approach Jesus this way. Because if we do not give Jesus the authority to flip tables in our ordinary lives, then we miss God. If we do not give Jesus the authority to flip tables in our ordinary lives, we actually miss God. I had shared about the value of reading through those passages that Jesus quotes. So I'd like to finish reading from Isaiah chapter 56. I didn't finish reading the, chap- the verses that were there. The first eight verses deal with the foreigner to say, foreigner, you are welcome to come to my holy hill and offer sacrifices. And now then God changes the direction to Israel's leaders to say, and Israel's leaders, I have some things to say to you. He says, all you beasts of the field, come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. So he's talking about Israel's leaders. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. Woo, you call somebody a dog in the Middle East? See if you live through that endeavor. Like that's strong language. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. This is not God's intent for his leaders. He's trying to say, identify these things and make adjustments. Because as we go to Jeremiah chapter 7, where he quotes the den of thieves, here's how he opens. He says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. So Jeremiah proclaims this in the very place that Jesus is flipping tables. And here's what he says. Proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will dwell in this place always with God. He gives us a chance to say, I want to be among you. The question is, will you do what I ask? Do not trust in these deceptive words. So here's what the deceptive words were. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. You see, they were saying, 
well, surely this is the temple of the Lord. So God's just going to be here. And what God is saying, no, I need you to be good witnesses of me. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will dwell in this place. There's always conditions in the land that I gave of your old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in the deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing these things, these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, been a, become a den of robbers in your eyes? There's the quote. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you've done all these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to that house that is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all of your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Those are challenging verses. Jesus was challenging the religious leaders of his day to say, my house was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations but you have restricted access to God and God's not happy. What we're going to find as we continue in Luke, we're going to get to a parable where he's speaking strongly to the temple leadership and what he expects of their lives. And if they don't change, what will happen? I'll be honest, as I, I read through Jeremiah 7, as I was working on this message on Thursday, I texted Pastor Jim and I said, I don't think I want to preach this message anymore. I think I'll ask Pastor Mark to preach it. <laughs> I didn't ask that of you. You're welcome. <laughs> they're hard verses, but they're verses that say to us, God has so much more. Have you ever felt like in your Christian life there's more? I'd say it's because there is. And that's what we're going after. And these verses were challenged to me because they sounded an awful light, lot like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? He wants to flip that table of religion. Because that's all that is, is that we're doing things in his name, but we're out of relationship with the King of Kings. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a challenge to look at the implications of a passage like this for us today but it should also be an inspiration to say, oh, Jesus, help us step into the extraordinary life we're offered in you. I started reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with our kids in the evening before bed. C.S. Lewis is such a literary genius with theological themes. One of my favorite passages from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is when Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they're sitting around the table with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they are engaging in this conversation. And Susan asks, who is Aslan? Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. Aslan is on the move. And he's on the move in our nation too. The question is, will we join him? Will we meet him there? He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. 
She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Lord, love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone? If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most that she can do and more than I expect of her. No, no, he'll put all to right as it says in the old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Susan. Or asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, by no, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anything who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I really get a sense Jesus wants to flip some tables in people's lives. But I think too often we want Jesus to be safe. But could I encourage you this morning? You don't want him to be safe. You want him to come against those things in your life that keep you from stepping into the extraordinary life you're offered in him. You don't want to save Jesus, but you do want him to be good. And I can tell you he is good. But the question that you need to ask yourselves this morning is, Jesus, what are the tables? What are the things keeping the lost from being reached because of who I am or things that are in my life? And then say, and Jesus, I give you the authority to flip those tables in your name. You've got to give Jesus the authority to do that. Will you grant Jesus the authority to do that? Are there people here living in fear? And could you say, oh, Jesus, flip the table of fear in my life. And I would say, Jesus, flip the table. Flip fear in people's lives. Jesus, don't let people become so distracted and busy they can't be disciple makers. Flip that table. Flip tables in people's lives. Flip comfort and convenience. Jesus, what are the tables in people's lives? They need to be flipped. We don't want to be religious. We want relationship. Jesus, help us not just pursue the American dream. Help us to pursue your coming kingdom. Jesus needs to flip tables. Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. And he wants to flip tables. He wants you living an extraordinary life. That's not a banner on Main Street. It's gospel truth. And you need to live in it. But you've got things in your life that Jesus needs to come in and remove. Let him flip tables in your life and see if you don't start stepping into the extraordinary. Help us, Jesus, to follow you on the move because he is moving. Jesus is changing people's hearts and lives. He's building his church, but it doesn't look like it's always looked. There is an awakening happening. He wants us to be a part. And the question is, will you allow Jesus to have his way? Will you allow Jesus to have his way? My prayer this morning was, oh, Jesus, may a physical flipping of tables become a spiritual reality in people's lives. Jesus wants to set us free from fear. He wants to remove things from our lives that keep you and others from having access to him. Will you allow him? 
Will you allow him to have his way? Next week is our May Missions Weekend. And we take up our miracle offering for kingdom builders. And it's a great day as we spend together and look at, oh Jesus, how are you calling us to reach our local community? How are you asking us to invest in our next generation leaders? How are you asking us to reach the nations? And so I invite you to come and be prepared to give. And you need to be here in person. We can't live stream these messages because of things we're going to share that are sensitive in nature because of the people that we're trying to reach. So make a point to be here in person. It's going to be a great day together. And what I'd like to do is, is have you hear from one of our, our young couples at the church who last year, they were dealing with fear. Jesus said, I want to flip that table and grow your faith. And so they responded. And guess what? God showed up. So let's take a minute and listen to that testimony. Okay. And to think about that and talked about it a little bit and we're just trying to decide um, what to do about kingdom builders and um, what we're supposed to do something, what did God want us to do. And uh, we're, we tend to be more slow in talking through things and making decisions. So really, I think uh, it got, kind of got pushed on the back burner for a while, and before we knew it, um, they were taking up a miracle offering. <laughs> and, and so we, um, and so it was time where we're like, okay, we better like decide something, or we're gonna like lose our opportunity. Yeah. So we had talked about some different things, and uh, one of the things that came up was, you know, well maybe we should do something big, like, you know, is maybe God wants us to give it all or, or something like that. And, uh, the season of life that we've been in has been uh, pretty challenging financially, like God has been meeting our needs, but, um, you know, it's just, there's been a lot of times where it's been kind of stressful or, or difficult and, and, you know, we, we had gotten our tax return back and it was uh, a pretty good amount thankfully, and, and so in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is gonna uh, keep us afloat uh, during the summer, because that summer we had to basically spend most of all of June uh, in Springfield for some things related to our overseas work, and so I couldn't work. Um, I was only offered one class at Ivy Tech, and I couldn't even take that to teach, uh, because we'd been gone for half the summer semester. Uh, so I was really wrestling with that, you know, what do we do, what is God asking us to do, and, and we had this conversation, and, and as I recall, you kind of asked the question, you know, whose kingdom do you want to build? Do you want to build your own, or do you want to build something that's going to last forever? And so I thought about that, and, and I realized, well, life's not about building my kingdom or, or anybody else's other than the Lord's. And so we, I thought, okay, God, we're, we're going to, we'll do this. We'll give our, our tax return, and you know, trust that you're going to build your kingdom and you'll find a way to provide for us. And, uh, my parents called and they asked, I can't remember how it started, but they asked them, you know, it's now a good time to talk or something like that. And, and they said, well, we have some news. And my first thought is like, oh no, like somebody dies, something bad happened. And so I was racing for, my, uh, for something like that. And then all of a sudden uh, they're like, well, you know, last year we entered a raffle for the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra and, you know, we won free, two free tickets to the orchestra. Well, you know, we just decided since we won last year, we should, we should enter the raffle again, you know, support the orchestra. And so we did. And we got this call at like 11 o'clock at night. And 
Someone on the other end of the line, you know, my mom said she thought it was like one of those robo collars, you know, because nobody calls it 11, that's a stranger. And, and, and the person said, you won. And uh, my mom was like, oh. And so sure enough, it turned out, you know, they uh, verified it, you know, the next day or whatever with this person that didn't know they really won the raffle. And they said, well, you know, one of the prizes was a three month cruise. And the other one was a Mercedes Benz uh, SUV and as I heard, and $6,000. And I was like, oh, that's great. And so I'm thinking like, what did they do? And, and they said, yeah, we just took, we decided to take the cash. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I started thinking about it as they're kind of talking and I'm like, wait a minute, three month cruise, Mercedes Benz, SUV, I'm like, oh, I missed a zero. And I realized that they won $60,000. And so I realized like, wow, I didn't, didn't get it. And, uh, and so my parents said, yeah, we're going to uh, share, uh, we're going to keep half and split the other half with you and your sister. And so we were kind of, kind of wondering, like, what just happened? Like, how did this happen? And afterwards, you know, we realized that, wow, like, this is God providing for us. This is meeting our needs because we're going to be gone for a whole month. And that was a huge expense in and of itself. And, and after, um, you know, that covered rent and food and baby expenses and um, you know it it was just really amazing because you know that and covered some other bills that we had and um, you know it didn't end up in you know our savings account or anything like that this is like God's provision for our needs yeah so it was not just what we had given it was like twice the amount and and in such an obscure way <laughs> what um, but I remember too I think you know we see these videos that they play for kingdom builders and stuff and it's like okay yeah those people and it's always someone else and i think we had kind of had a conversation about that before too that you know like okay well god does that for other people um but i just think that god wanted to really show us like no i can do this for anybody and just step out and trust me and like just watch what i can do and it's just um so amazing i mean we shouldn't really be amazed yeah. like god is an amazing god and um i think he just wanted to show us and i just like laugh kind of about it that is such a funny way to me that he brought it about in a way we could ever imagine so yeah. Now, let me ask, was that ordinary or extraordinary? Extraordinary, right? And what, was, what needed to happen? God needed to flip the table of fear in their lives for them to step into the extraordinary life they're offered, to see how he could provide. And those stories aren't just for those people or those people. Those stories are for us, for us to step into. And so I would challenge you next week as you come back, be a part of the Kingdom Builders Miracle Offering. That happens next week. It changes lives. We're going to affect the lives of children in our community as we invest in kids' spaces. We're affecting the lives of next-generation leaders by sending them to places like Morocco and, and places like Turkey. And we're investing in global missions to get behind people like Dick and Jennifer Brogdon who are planting the church in Saudi Arabia. And we get to be a part of that. So I just encourage you, be challenged by the Lord this week. And, and two other things I, I'd like to ask. Number one, our facility director has been out of commissioned for like a week or two. She had hip surgery. Please don't tell her I flipped tables on the, on, the, on the platform this morning. Please don't anybody tell her. I'm hoping she's not watching this morning. Oh, Janice, I'm sorry. Andrew told me to do it. Jim gave me permission. Gosh. All right. Well, never mind. 
Second thing is, I really do want you to, to seek the Lord and ask him, Jesus, what are the tables in my life that you mean to flip? And if I could just give you the confidence to know that God will meet you there and he will do extraordinary things, but you do have to allow him to have access to those things to say, Jesus, I give you permission. You have the authority. Flip those things and help me to step into the life that you have for me. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And before we close, maybe you're here today and you have never received the access that you have to God, but today it's afforded to you. You're in a space where you are invited to follow Jesus. You have access to the King of Kings. You can go beyond that fenced area. You are welcome into the Holy of Holies. Jesus died for it. So if you're here today, And you would say, I want access to God for myself and then I can give access to others. I want to pray with you before we leave with every head bowed in this room. If that's you this morning, you'd say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to have access to God through Jesus, his son. If that's you today, simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we leave. Over here on the left, anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus today. I want access to him. I want him to change my life because that's what he wants to do. He makes all things new. Anybody else that would say, that's me over on the right? Anybody else that would say, I want to follow Jesus today? I want him to flip the table of fear. I want him to flip the tables of distraction and busyness. Anybody else that would say, that's me? I want to follow Jesus today. I want to become a fully devoted follower of his. Jesus, I just pray for those that raise their hand today. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to follow you steadfastly, Father, for a lifetime. I pray that we would come around them as a church body to encourage them to answer questions they have and and be able to lead them well in the life that you have for them as an everyday disciple maker. So God, I pray that you would help us to, to be able to steward those responses well. And Jesus, we just celebrate that decision today. We celebrate it, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. And God, we just ask that you would do that through our whole community, Father, our whole county decisions for you, Jesus. And God, I just pray for everyone in this room who is being tasked with the the endeavor to to seek and search their hearts, seeking you, Holy Spirit, to begin to identify what are those areas that that need to be addressed, that have been serving as barriers, that you don't want to be as barriers anymore. Jesus, I pray that they would be honest with you and allow you to have access today. Have access this week. Have access this year in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just want to worship you in song this morning. For you are worthy of all of our worship. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to come down. If we could have a couple of prayer team members to come as well. If you raised your hand saying, I want to follow Jesus, we want to help you with information on here's the Bible and here's where to go from here. We don't want to leave you alone in that decision. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you'd like more information on how to do that. We just invite you to come as we sing. Can we uh, thank God for those that made that decision today? We celebrate you this morning. So we're just going to pray with you and give you a Bible. But otherwise, let's sing.